Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. church family. I love the time of communion together, just thinking about all the things that occupy our minds and good things and everyday activities, and, but just to set all those aside and fix our, our minds on Christ and just lock in on Him, who He is and what He's done for us, and He is worthy of all of our worship, isn't He? And good to, good to refocus well, thank you for, for uh, being with us today. We continue our message series in uh, James chapter 4 is where we'll be. Before we get there, though, we'll be in, uh, start in verse 11 this week. But before we go there, quick uh, bit team huddle. We, we have some family business we need to settle real quick. Who are we as a, a team going to pull for next Sunday in the Super Bowl? <laughs> so we'll start with the Philadelphia Eagles. How many of us are like, hey... We need to be cheering these guys on. Any Big Eagle fans? All right, we have some. Yes, Calvin, all right. Eagles, hey, they're <laughs> Big Ken Grunlock, you're probably going to be jerseying up next week, aren't you? All right, yep, Donnie, good deal. So pretty, that's better than first hour, pretty good representation. I had a lot of people shaking their heads first hour. We have, uh, I know Gary Chittister is also an Eagle fan and Jamal Singleton, if you remember Jamal and Jennifer were part of our church family back under the Chuck Pagano days, he was the running back coach, and he is now running back coach, and I think he's assistant head coach in Philadelphia, so that should sway us a little bit, we've got a brother in the city, but uh, okay, let's go Kansas City, all right, it's it's looking, yeah, I think majority is going Kansas City, sorry Ken. I know Big Lou Gilbert too is flying the flag outside his house, and um, it'll be a fun, fun time. Fun times to gather with friends. Is uh, <laughs> Frank Seeger declaring allegiance? I, this past week there was a humility moment. We're chasing humility as a church family. If you're just joining us, that just stuck in my mind, lodged in my mind. It happened last Sunday, and it was during the. Uh, the game that Joe Burrow, he's the quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals, was playing in. And Joe is a guy that if you're starting a fantasy football team and he's on the board, you're probably taking him. He is an incredible talent. And one of those guys is so calm, cool, collected, and just stone-cold winner. I, I mean, you put, think about him, he's, he, he will hit the big pass at the end of the game type of deal. But last Sunday, where did Joe spend the majority of his afternoon? Flat on his back <laughs> as he was sacked by the Kansas City defense. And, and what I, as I thought about that picture, because that happened multiple times. There, there's, the, the cameras were rolling. That picture exists. But does that picture hang, will that picture hang on anyone's man cave wall? Unless you're the guy that was sacking him. It's certainly not going to be on Joe's man cave wall. But, but do we, we don't like the pictures of our icon, our hero, flat on their back. But, but what, as I thought about this chasing humility piece, that's the picture of every human hero, icon that will ever breathe 
Because, and what's, and really our story as well, what sacks us, lays us flat on our back? Our depravity, our uh, father time, and one day we will all, death will lay us out flat on our back. But we wear the jerseys, and, and it's fun to do that. But I was just thinking about that. When you're wearing the jersey, say it's a Joe Burrow jersey, and you're at the game, and Joe makes a big pass, what do you what do? You do? So we wear the jerseys of icons who will all end up flat on their back. But then I thought about the one who did, did not. There is only one who walked on this earth who did not end up defeated. He gave himself up to be flat on his back, to suffer the death we deserve. He laid down his life willingly, and he took it up again and says, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. So that when we lay ourselves down, or when death comes for us, we don't die without hope. We have a hope of a risen Savior. And so every Sunday, and especially communion Sundays, I was thinking, what, what, are, what jersey are we wearing, really? Eagles, yes, but what really jersey are we wearing? Romans 13 says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, his character. And every Sunday we gather and celebrate, and we do this again. He is the one who won my fight and the one that I worship, the one that I follow. And just love that, that picture. And James today, he's, he's our pace setter. And he's going to, this is a, a neat part of the, the letter Last week we ended with this simple challenge, which really is at the heart of, of where we're being led this year, and it's James chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. And what we come to today is really, it's as if someone raises their hand and says, okay, what's that look like in my life? Like in the quadrants of my everyday life, what's it look like to humble myself before the Lord? And the text that we're in today, I've mentioned James feels like Proverbs in terms of genre. It's like the Old Testament Proverbs, wisdom for living. This is where he really gets into that, that mode of, okay, this is wisdom for your everyday life. And what he'll do is take us into four quadrants. We're going to move through quite a bit of scripture, but each, there's four sections that, that he'll, uh, he'll say, okay, this is what it looks like to practice humility here, here, here. Here And then there's one overarching secret that really empowers us to do this that we'll find in the text. So if you would join me there in James chapter 4, verse 11 is where we'll begin. He says this, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister judges them and speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, which when he refers to the law, what's he referring to? Back to chapter 2, it's the royal law of Scripture, the law of love. Loving the people around us is the Lord loves us. He says, when you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And so the first and, and this is a high stakes area of life, but the first quadrant which he calls us, in which he calls us to practice humility is that of our words, how we speak, what we say. And it's interesting, this is a big deal to our Lord. As, as we see this as a theme in the letter of James, 
Back to chapter 1, verse 26, he sums it up when he says this, verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. And so here he's getting specific. What's that look like to keep a tight rein on our tongues? And he says, he says here, it's really refusing to slander, to speak against a brother or a sister, to say something about someone that will cut them down versus build them up. So what's it look like to practice humility in the context of our words, the way that we talk? And it's simply this, it's refusing to take that place of judge over someone's life and to be speaking, you know, basically accusations and um, down at them and cutting um, their reputation. Even, I think, gossip would fall into this category. And putting a a tight rein on our tongues and just saying, I'm not going to go there. Refusing to go there. And rather, I'm going to seek to build them up in, in what I say. The, the thought is every word that we say is a word that is honoring to our Lord, to the judge, and lifts up this person. And it's a word we, in other parts of Scripture we're called to let everything we say be saturated with grace, marked by love. Does this mean we don't deal with conflicts and issues and, and things that need to be dealt with, or that we don't, at times, uh, judge a person's action. So if you're a parent, you know, do, do I just let my kids do whatever they want to do? And obviously not. And in society, obviously there, there needs to be judgments made. But this is in that realm of as we talk interpersonal relationships, we are not assuming the role of judge in someone's life and uh, speaking against them, slandering them or gossiping them, but only saying what will, will build them up. Jesus had some strong, it's interesting, you, you really catch uh, the echo of Jesus in James's teaching, don't you? As we know Jesus was his half-brother, and he, uh, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged, for in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged with the same measure that you use. It will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? In a pretty, almost comical scene of, okay, this person in my life has this problem, and Jesus is saying, that's like a speck of sawdust compared to this railroad tie that's coming out of your own eye, like the issue you have. So you're worried about their speck. Why not, uh, first start, he says, how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, where when all the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So how do we get there? How do we practice humility in the the context of our, our words. The secret is right here in the text, and it's living awake to the presence of the Lord as our judges. Verse 12 there where it says, There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So how do we tighten up the rein of our tongue and not speak against those around us? It's seeing the judge in the room or at the table. So when we gather family dinner or with friends, We remember, he is judge and he is here. For me to speak against another brother or sister in his presence is in essence asking him, would you get off your judge's seat? I'll take over and declare judgment on this person. Which is obviously a place none of us want to go. And we we must not go. But what a gift. I love how James gives us this. This is the secret. It's living awake to the presence of the judge. 
in the room. When I speak against someone, slander them, I'm assuming the role of judge. One of the uh, momisms that was coming to my mind all week this week that I'm guessing every, I wonder if every mom here has said, and it was interesting, we, were, we had the opportunity to bucket list, have a family trip to Disney, the happiest place on earth, but it was interesting how many times I heard a mom giving the attitude talk to her kid, you will be happy. We've spent a fortune to be here. <laughs> and so get your attitude right. And part of that attitude talk is this. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Any, we all heard that. <laughs> I was thinking my mom said that so many times. And I always categorize that as a, that's a nice bit of wisdom for life. When you're in conflict or human relations, you know, if you want to, goes over here, it's somewhat important. But this week, as I was reading this, I'm realizing that's not a nice suggestion. That's a command from the living God. If I don't have anything nice to say about a person, I, I need to not say anything. And it's so easy, though, in our culture, isn't it? It's all, it coming through, there was a, we went through a very divisive time over the past three, four years, and it's almost become socially accepted that you can just rip on anybody, say whatever you want if they're a public person, and that is absolutely not the calling and, and actually a sin for us as, as Christians. And I had to confess this week, we were at lunch on Tuesday with the pastors, we go over to Lara and talking about cultural Christianity, and there was a, a leader within a, another pastor who is making some decisions I don't agree with, and I just kind of vented what I think of him. And studying this out, realized that was sinful. I had to go back and ask my brothers to forgive me for saying that and the Lord to forgive me and say, if I don't have anything nice to say, I should not be saying it. Practice humility in the context of our words means that, that I refuse to slander for I'm seeing the judge. And then the next quadrant in which to practice humility is the, uh, the, the quadrant. So words, what we say, and then what we do and you could put right the word in here, our plans, or when we make our plans. We see this in verse 13. It says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. And so, interesting cultural spot that they're in right here. James is writing to Jews who are scattered throughout the, the Roman Empire. And what was happening in the first century was really exciting. If you were a business person... Um, cities were popping up everywhere. The Romans were making roads. And as they made roads, they made little outposts that would become cities. So as a business person, you're like, oh man, let's go, you know, let's go get this coastal city, set up our, our shop. We'll spend a year there. We'll, we'll get it going, build a team. Then we'll be off to the next place. And if you're a business, you can just feel the, the energy around that. Think about, we live in a similar time and all that's just ex opportunities exploding around us. Think about even like the metaverse, you know, an entire frontier world that if it gets up and running in the next 10, 20 years, there's just poof, opportunities everywhere. And so people saying, okay, is it wrong to make plans like this? No, but he says, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will we will live, first of all, be alive, and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. 
It's the idea of leaving God out of our planning. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. Some, it, this last little proverb, if you know the good to do and don't do it, almost feels like a standalone, but most scholars feel it does connect with this calling to um, bring the Lord into our planning process or make our plans in light of, of his presence. So what's God calling us to do here? Is he against making plans? And the obvious answer is no. But, but what he's calling us to do is as we make our plans to do so in light of his sovereign rule over our lives, remembering that, that even to be alive tomorrow, <laughs> only he knows that, and that's a gift. And he is my sustainer. And not only is my very life um, in his hands, but these plans that we're making, they may or may not happen, and they are to be executed humbly, praying, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. At simple calling, we ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will do this, we will, we will live and do this or that. So how do we make our um, plans? We think about this week. We plan the week. We plan the, the year. We plan our lives. How do we make these practicing humility and wa- humbly walking with God? And it's simply uh, seeing Him as the one who is sovereign over our lives, sustaining us and then um, helping us execute the plans that we make. One of the great uh, cultural stories, I guess, of our church family that I feel like this could be one of those stories we just keep passing on and passing on happened in January of 2020. Doug Wicker had asked Harold Brown if he would come up with the devotional for our elder leadership team as we were starting the year. And, you know, just pump us up for this new year and and let's go... um, we were going to form plans and, and strategies and those types of things. So Harold had recently retired and had some time. So he put together a great Devo, took us into Romans chapter 15. And we went through the entire um, chapter, which is really a list of all of Paul's immediate plans, things that he was hoping to do and planning to do in the near future in his mission. And then Harold asked a disturbing question. How many of Paul's plans actually came about? actually happened. (laughs) This is the apostle. He walks with God. He's locked in on mission. How many of these plans actually came about? Zero. And his big idea was, big takeaway was, guys, we can make our plans, but the reality is only God knows and may or may not happen. Well, I'm sitting there as the point lead with Doug, like, Harold, this is not the motivating devotional (laughs) I was hoping for. <laughs> In fact, this is semi-depressing. <laughs> Man. But what did God know that we didn't would hit us like a freight train eight weeks later? Something we, you couldn't even see. You could only see it on a microscope. It was a microbe. A COVID virus that would take all of our plans, wad them up, toss them in the... <laughs> And it says, let's get through this. God gave us just what we needed through Harold. Sweet sanity. Hey, just a reminder. (laughs) The Lord wills. And it's what James gives us here. Yes, make our plans. It's wise to make plans and and dreams and exciting. But as we make them, may we constantly be praying and preface every plan with, Lord, 
Your will be done, and Lord willing, this will happen. Sweet sanity, if it's the Lord's will, we'll do this or that. And then the third quadrant in which to practice, so you have words, you have plans, and then the third that we all handle in high stakes area is that of money. Managing money. Now, as we come to this text, James, as we've We've uh, talked about he is an in-your-face teacher. His, his rhetoric is, is uh, just hit us with the hard truth. And scholars differ on who this, this part is written to. You'll notice the previous sections, he's writing to brothers and sisters, clearly Christians. Some scholars feel that he's writing to people who aren't Christian, but who are worshiping money, and they're the rich that are, uh, back to chapter 2, dragging the Christians into court. And so this is more of a comfort for Christians. Others feel that this is written to all of us. I, I think either one could be, is helpful. I think, uh, is it wrong to be rich? And the obvious answer is no. It's, it's wrong to serve money as our God. But God calls us to manage our money and calls many of us, I think probably most of us here, to be stewards of his wealth and to do good with, with wealth. So, so that the issue is not the rich. The issue is what they do with it. And so... Here, uh, strong words, as he says, verse that, or in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth is rotted, your moths have eaten your clothes, and your gold and silver are corroded. In this culture, there were three, really, categories of wealth. You had grain, you had clothing, and you had gold. And so he's saying here, your grain is rotted, your your clothing has been eaten by moths your gold is corroded but and he says their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire say why and here's the the issue you have hoarded wealth in the last days look the wages that you you fail to pay the pay your workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you so injustice in the workplace the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the lord almighty and you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. And those words, luxury, self-indulgence, um, lose a little bit in the English translation. But it's the idea of just all-out hedonism, just, just gluttony for me versus any thought to what people around me might need. And our duty to one another is even just fellow humans. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. And some people, commentators, um, think, could this be Christ he's talking to? But think a better, with the context, uh, interpretation is he's just their negligence to whoever. And back to chapter 2, where they're dragging Christians into court and just they're living solely for money. I think, you know, if you are, were in this first century and you were a family that was being oppressed, perhaps in slavery... What a comfort this text would be just to know that the Lord Almighty hears my cries and he sees the oppression and the wheels of justice are turning. Someone has said the wheels of justice turn slow, but they turn. And um, it's true. God hears and God cares about the work environment and the wages that are paid employees that they would be just and fair and even, I think, even generous. If possible, the, the, uh, this text, 
James graphically some of the, the takeaways for us. I think it, it's helpful for all of us, isn't it? As a gut check, he's reminding us of the, the temporary nature of earthly wealth. He's, uh, and I think the big idea is to chase earthly wealth at the expense of violating the law of love is a, a horrible decision. And not only will our wealth eventually rot, but if we're chasing it at, at the expense of others, it rots our soul in the process and has eternal impact. So the questions that come to mind as we read this that I think are healthy for all of us to ask, am I hoarding wealth? And it's a good tension to live in, isn't it? What's the difference between wise saving and selfish hoarding? And that's an answer that we have to come up with on our own, within our families and, and before the Lord. It is wise to save for the future, and in our culture, we don't want to not prepare for um, future medical costs, and we don't want to leave our families having to take care of us at the end of our lives, so there's wisdom that comes around this, but, but ultimately, that gut check, am I living um, hoarding, or, or am I saving wisely? Have I, or am I paying the people who work for me in a way that's fair, just, and generous? And just to remember that I am his master and, and that the Lord cares about that. The picture of living in luxury and self-indulgence is that picture of, am I thinking only about my desires or am I thinking outward? And how could I use what I have to help the people around me? So what's it look like to handle this quadrant of money, which we all handle, with humility, to practice humility in the midst of it? And it's just remembering and seeing, I, I am serving a master. This money is a tool that he's given me for a season to, to serve him and do good with the people, to, for the people around me. And it, it moves us to be generous, doesn't it? And warns us not to serve money, but to use money as a tool for the Lord. So I, as I was thinking through our church family, it's neat to see the opposite of this happening where um, we are seeking to be generous and help those around us. And I received an email the first week of January that just pumped me up. And, and finally this week, it so illustrates what it, what it looks like to walk humbly in the context of stewarding money that I asked the person, the couple, if I could share this. And so Chad and Elizabeth Walker, are you guys in this service, Chad and Elizabeth? All right, back here if you want to talk with them afterwards. But it, it, he writes... My name is Chad Walker, and my wife Elizabeth and I started attending Westbridge with our family this summer after moving to Danville. We like the church a great deal, and it has been a great fit for our two sons in the children's program. We've noticed that Westbridge is involved in the local community and has a heart for people locally as well as globally. Because of this, I'm writing to ask you for help with a need in our neighborhood. After we moved into our house in downtown Danville, we became friends with a neighbor across the street. Her name is Janie. She is 77, lives alone in one of Danville's 100-plus-year-old homes. We noticed that her house's big front porch is heavily damaged and about to collapse. After talking with her, we found out that she still works full-time to support herself, but makes just enough to cover her bills. She has no family to help her, and she can't physically manage home repairs herself. She has struggled to maintain the porch, for several years, which has progressed to the point that the floor now has caved in and the roof sags badly and has holes in it. We're afraid that one bad storm will be enough to bring it down. As it is, she has a tiny makeshift walkway across the caved-in porch floor to her door, 
which is far from safe, a safe solution for an elderly lady. Because Janie works and still has an income, she doesn't qualify for any of the social services or grants that um, would help her, would help a senior citizen in situations like this. And like most of us, she doesn't make enough cash to, to pay for a repair of this magnitude. The quotes that she received were around $40,000. Her homeowner's insurance won't fix it. Elizabeth and I are committed to finding a way to get this fixed for her so that her house is structurally sound and she has a safe access point once again. And I just appreciated that. We're going to do this. Um, we aren't asking the church for monetary donations, but we could use your help in getting us connected to anyone who might have resources to share, whether that is their knowledge, anyone who might help us get grants, skilled or unskilled labor, ability to donate materials or ability to donate monetarily. We are reaching out to other contacts as well, and we have commitments to get a portion of the labor donated. I do plan to do part of this myself, and Elizabeth and I can help fund the materials. However, we think we will need about $20,000 to cover the labor costs and the materials. We know Jane doesn't attend our church. She doesn't have one, actually. But to us, it's a whatever-you-do-for-the-least-of-these situation. A single, elderly person with a serious need and no resources to meet it. We're hoping that within our church community, there are a few more people who have a heart to help a neighbor in a very tangible way. This is why we're contacting you. Since you're, we're new to Danville and new to the church, we don't know the, who those people are, but we're hoping that you can help us connect. And they've set up a GoFundMe page um, to help with this. So I connected uh, Chad and Elizabeth with, with Pastor Tyson, who oversees our Compassion Minister team, along with Travis and Sally Richardson. And um, thanks to your generosity, part there's a fund within our Compassion Ministry team to help give, and, and a portion of... Um, Money was given to help with this, but also the, the word went out to small groups. And um, I don't know all the details of who's helping, but I know um, it's just the body of Christ is pulling together. And even, I think, a neat picture of employee, employers helping out. We have Lowe's um, who uh, has committed, donated some, some money. We have the uh, Fields Guttering, a local guttering service. Almighty Roofing have all donated a project which costs 40000 plus is being done for between fifteen dollars and $20,000, and it's happening. And yesterday I drove by just to, to see this, and it was a worship moment, just knowing um, Chad and Elizabeth, followers of Christ, who saw a need and a lady in need and said, we want to help, and then um, others jumping in. And if you'd like to, to be of help, you can see them after the service. I think we still need to around three to $5,000 to wrap it up. But they've said, we're going to cover it if, if it's not there. And so I, I think we're going we're gonna to get her done. And uh, I, as I read uh, James chapter 1, verse 27, it's a picture of this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Isn't that a great picture of Managing money wisely or, or with humility. And, uh, and tomorrow uh, or this week, the Republican is going to run a, a, a newspaper article on this as well, just to, to get the word out. Christ shining um, and his love uh, being, being displayed. All right, and then the last quadrant. So practicing humility 
humility in everyday life. We have our words, we have our plans, we have our money, and then he ends with this one that can take us out. It's a high-stakes area. It's our trials, our times of suffering. Verses 7 and following, how do we uh, walk humbly with the Lord through our seasons of suffering? He says this, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. This is the doctrine of the imminent coming of Christ. Maybe today, as Christians, this is our hope that we live in this reality. Nothing needs to happen on the prophetic timeline of of the Lord before he returns in his power and the, uh, he says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we counted, uh, we counted as blessed those who have persevered. Then he points to Job. You remember, or you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And that picture that I think the Lord wants us to see of himself as we are going through trials and seasons of suffering, how do we persevere? How do we keep on? What fuels that? And it's this uh, eyes on the sky. I love the picture of the farmer. You know, he plants the seeds, but then what's he always doing? He's looking for that rain cloud, patiently waiting. And then it finally comes and the, the crop grows. We know That there is a day the Lord is coming. And as he comes, he will make all that's wrong right. He is a God of full of compassion and mercy. And uh, he is worthy of our faithful endurance. And so keep on, keep on, keep on through the trials. For those of us trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior, this is our hope. And just, um, I, I don't know if the thought of that just, it's like that shot of joy, that shot of, um, yeah, keep on. The Lord could come back and could be today, and he's called us to live with that hope and that longing. But if you don't know Christ as your Savior, the return of the Lord is a sobering warning. We know Jesus said that in the last days or at the return of the Lord, it will be as it was in the days of Noah, and everybody's going about their lives, they're marrying, giving in marriage. For a hundred years, they hear the thunk, 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 thunk of Noah's hammer. hundred years, opportunity to get on the ark. But when the door shut and the rains fell, the season of grace was over and it was a season of judgment. And Jesus was clear. He warned us in Matthew 24, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. He will come in his glory, but at that point, the door shuts to know him, to have forgiveness of sin, to to enter into a relationship with the living God and the, the door to heaven. And so today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to respond to the message of hope and his invitation. Trust me, for everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we do receive the, the forgiveness of sins and enter into the safety of, of the ark that, that he provided through his uh, death, burial, and resurrection. But today, for um, all of us who, um, as followers of Christ, how do we walk humbly 
with the Lord in our everyday life. So you take these quadrants and what we say, what we do in our plans, in our, as, as we handle money and as we navigate trials. How do we walk humbly? Did you catch this secret that fuels all of this? And I'd encourage you, if you go back and read this this week, circle every time you see the Lord. You could put over this caption, really, how do we do all this? It's keeping our eyes on the Lord, living awake to the presence of the Lord. And so this week, as we go out and speak, may we speak with our eyes fixed on the Lord, remembering He's at the table, seeing Him as the judge. I'm not the judge over the people around me. As we uh, make our plans and get our daytimer out and plan the week and plan the year and plan the, our lives, may we see him as sovereign over all and pray, Lord, not my will, but your will be done, Lord willing. Then as we spend our money and manage our money, may we always be checking our hearts. Am I serving money or is, am I using this to serve my master who's given all this to me? And then as we navigate trials, like the farmer, keeping our eyes on the skies, Maybe today, maybe today the Lord is coming and may I live faithful to him, enduring in what he's called me to. Do you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word to us today and just these practical ways to, to live humbly before you. Thank you for James and just moving him to write these things and we pray now for the grace to live it out. And as we go today, just pray that we would bring you honor and glory through our words. So we make our plans that it would be with you and submitted to you. As we uh, manage the money that you've given us, Lord, we just pray you'd protect our hearts from greed and, and help us to, uh, to just be a funnel of blessing to, to the people around us. And then as we navigate these trials that, that we will go through, I pray that uh, you would give us the grace to persevere, to stand to see you, and that the trials would not crush us, but rather they would grow our faith in you and, and just draw us into a deeper intimacy and also a deeper faith through which others can benefit and through which we can bring you glory. And so we thank you for your word to us today. We love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.